This information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is as current as May 8th, 2020. Aloha, I'm Evan Leong from Brain Gain Hawaii, and welcome to today's Safe Hawaii Jobs and Businesses webinar for May 8th, 2020. So last month flew by and this is our 11th webinar for the series. So if this is new for you, we have a resource folder with updated memos and uh, previous webinar videos on YouTube. Please make sure you review those um, documents and, and possibly videos um, before you ask a question since most of the answers are in those documents. Please let me introduce our team for today. We have Jane Sawyer, who's the Hawaii District Director for the SBA and our champion for Hawaii small businesses. Darren Leong is a specialist in employment law from the law office of Darren R. Leong. Stacey Katakura is the CEO of Accumulus, which is an outsourced CFO and accounting firm. Jeff Harris is a specialist in employment law and a senior named partner at the Torkelson Law Firm. Buddy Leong is an analyst here at Brain Gain Hawaii. He handles our communications, backend, and chat box. Coco Leong is our editor here at Brain Gain. He's in charge of content, YouTube channel, and podcast. Questions will be taken during this webinar through the Q&A module only. If you post in the chat box, you'll get a message from Buddy asking you to post it in the Q&A box. Please upvote the questions in the Q&A module and we're spend, um, we'll spend more time in that the questions, answering them live today um, in the latter part of the webinar. This is a fully volunteer effort. Our team has personally answered hundreds of questions, email threads, and hundreds of billable hours have been donated. Um, please keep that in mind. And legal disclaimer for today is this information is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or tax advice. Please consult your attorney or accountant to discuss your particular business situation. SBA's participation in this presentation is not an endorsement of the views, opinions, products, or services of any of the participants, persons, or entities. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. This information is current as of May 8th today. So let's start off with Jane Sawyer. Thank you. Hi, happy Aloha Friday. I hope you're having a good day so far and thanks for joining us. Um, it's been a, a crazy week with the PPP loans. Um, the, some of the banks are still accepting loans. We're still seeing them come on in, but loan funds are still available for those folks who are still considering making an application and evaluating um, how they could use the funds going forward. Um, funds have been uh, not flying out the door like they did on the previous rounds, but uh, they are still available. The average size loan is a little bit smaller now. We're seeing lots of um, independent contractors, sole proprietors put in those applications um, to get a little help as we here in Hawaii start to look at uh, how we open up the economy again and it's time to get ready to open doors. Um, been a lot of questions coming back and forth and some of them we'll be discussing today um, going forward. Uh, they've been looking at a lot of people questioning, what do I have to do and what do those certifications mean? Um, should I uh, explore the safe harbor uh, and perhaps consider returning a portion of funds or all of the funds for my PPP loan? But these are, um, 
kind of things that you should be sitting down to evaluate, maybe putting pen to paper and looking to determine, do I really need these loan funds or how am I going to use them? What is my expectation of getting a portion of the loan funds forgiven? The Economic Injury Disaster Loan Portal opened up again for idle businesses or for agriculture businesses. And again, these loans are different than the PPP. These are loans that are made through SBA's Office of Disaster Assistance. It's a much slower process, um, but we are seeing some uh, uh, information from small businesses who are getting their advances and are getting uh, those economic injury disaster loan funds either at the negotiation stage or getting deposited into their accounts. So again, you can go to sba.gov or contact the Hawaii District Office if you need more information or help with any of these programs. And that's it for me. Thank you, Jane. Um, so we were hoping um, that there would be uh, new guidance, both on the certification uh, issue with this uh, May 14th deadline coming up and um, the national SBA saying that they would issue more guidance before the 14th. Uh, that has not come out yet. Um, uh, we were also hoping to get some forgiveness guidance that has also not come out yet. So uh, I think what we're planning to do, uh, at least for today, which we're just going to take Q&A straight away. Um, and uh, for next week, if there's uh, substantive guidance before Tuesday, then we'll hold our, our normal Tuesday webinar. But if there is not, then we'll probably bump it out uh, to Friday or if there's some emergency need to talk about certifications before the Thursday deadline and it comes out on like Tuesday, then, then we'll probably have to schedule something uh, emergently, if that's a word. Um, so uh, without further ado, and I'm, I'm just going to preface this by saying for the vast majority of you who join us twice a week, um, these Q&As will likely be uh, largely duplicative, and the ones that are not will probably fall into the category of the, there, there is no guidance yet on that issue. So uh, we won't be offended if you, um, if you hop off and we see the numbers drop. So uh, with that, uh, first Q&A is um, Megan S., uh, which is regarding sole proprietors with no employees. So let me pass that to Stacy. And we'll go from there. Okay, so a sole proprietor with no employees, um, does your entire amount of your PPP qualify for forgiveness? And the answer would be yes. Um, how do I document my own payroll when I don't give myself a paycheck? I would recommend that you, um, you during this time, whatever um, draws that you make to yourself, you clearly write a check from your business account to your personal account. Um, either write a check or do a, a transfer and just document, um, should that you have a trail to document that. Um, if I use my PPP funds to pay my federal state taxes, does that qualify for forgiveness? Um, essentially, I'm paying myself payroll and then using that money to pay taxes, so it seems like it should, and that, that's correct. Um, as long as you're not paying your, using your PPP funds to pay your federal um, and state income, estimated income taxes, I think that should be fine. Um, I, I'm going to answer a question that I also see kind of related to that. Um, so your, you know, your, your loan, um, your loan was likely sized at, you know, two and a half times your average monthly, uh, 
net income from self-employment for 2019. Um, so you might have some leftover money after paying eight weeks of your, your net income from self-employment. Um, and you can use that money to pay if you have uh, rent, um, utilities, uh, if you have an office outside of your home. Um, what I have been recommending, and there's, there hasn't been good guidance that, that uh, has come out about this, if you have a home office. Um, so what I've been recommending is uh, conservatively, maybe plan on using the same proportion um, that you use to, um, if you follow Schedule C and you have a home office and you've, you've calculated the amount of square footage that you use for your dedicated home office on your Schedule C, I recommend that you plan on using approximately that same percentage um, until there is better guidance that, that comes out. Um, so that might be a little less than you were planning on, on otherwise using. Uh, let, me, let me throw a little wrench in there and then um, th throw that back and forth with you, Stacy. So uh, the interim rule number three, that is the one that, that explains a lot of how to calculate, et cetera, um, for uh, sole proprietors, independent contractors, that sort of thing. And then it says essentially to use um, that, that to use net income, right? Or net, uh, and, but isn't that net income take, taking into account already uh, rents and, and other things? So what I, I guess what I'm driving at is um, at least the way I've been thinking about this is no, you can, uh, if uh, just using the, the person who's a hundred thousand mm -hmm. uh, dollars, your amount is based off of two and a half months. So it would be $20,833. But the amount that you can use is net income over eight weeks, which totals 15,300 and change. Mm -hmm. So isn't it the case that you, will not be able to use the entire amount as forgiveness, I guess is my is sort yeah, of my question. And that is very likely if you, I think in a, especially in the, in the situation, if you don't, um, if you don't have a office that you're, um, that you're paying rent towards or utility towards, I think there's a very, very good chance that um, you're not going to be able to use the, the entire amount of your loan. I, I guess my, but my sort of, sort of, brainstorming through that is even if you do have an office with that you pay rent uh, again this is sole proprietors we're just talking about only sole proprietors isn't the net income portion already taking into account the sort of the mm -hmm. rent piece I, and and i think that interim rule actually contemplates it so mm -hmm. i i guess what i'm driving it is at is uh, it's my view that that person will not be able to separately take rent on top of the 15000 um, mm -hmm. as a forgivable expense is sort of the way I've been reading it. Mm -hmm. I think, um, well, I, I think if you pay yourself, your, your loan was sized based on your net income from self-employment, which was after your rent expense, right? Um, but I think the uses of their loan proceeds, uh, you still could, you still could. Um... As a allowable use, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let's table, let's table that actually. Um, uh, Derek Ching says, um, 
what documents are needed to demonstrate that PPP loan was essential for the, I, I think the word would be necessary for the business, uh, necessary to maintain operations, uh, which is a certification that's uh, all the rage right now. Uh, we're a pediatrics practice, it's still open, much lower capacity. Any rulings, uh, if any of the unused 25% portion can be used to pay for bonuses, that's a separate question. And also any rulings uh, for 401k contribution. So let me, let me take that in reverse. And then Jeff um, and I were going back and forth on this. Um, so uh, the, the question of bonuses, um, we think the whether it's hazard pay bonus or some kind of bonus to get you up to the 75% threshold, uh, we think it's it's going to be likely that that's allowed um, uh, with a business purpose, uh, but there's no direct guidance on that that issue yet. Uh, for 401k contributions, they're clearly allowed. Um, Although the, the question that surrounds those is whether they are um, expenses incurred, uh, costs incurred um, during the eight-week period. So we're, we're waiting on clarification for that. But we think it's, it's likely that, you know, regular uh, payments of retirement on a regular basis that it's like when you would have normally paid uh, in for that month that it will likely count. So for, leaves, for, exam, for example, Darren, most of your union collectively bargained contributions that are made in, in, say, July for hours worked in June, if the hours and the contributions are both worked and, and paid during your eight-week period, those are clearly covered. Once the hours are worked outside the eight-week period and only the contributions are within the eight-week period, or only the hours are worked within the eight-week period and the contributions aren't due until after the eight-week period is over, that's what we're still waiting for clarification on. Yeah, I think that's right. And then the other one that, that bugs me is uh, profit sharing because um, pro, you know, profit sharing is a, a, is a payment to retirement, which would be an eligible expense, but it's for 2019. So um, that cost would clearly be incurred well outside of the um, eight-week period. So I, I think we need guidance on, on that to come. Um, so on the certification question, I think Jeff has, you know, while we're waiting for the guidance that's coming out in the next few days uh, on, from SBA on that, I think Jeff had some thoughts. Yes, Darren. Look at the certification that you signed and that has been getting a lot of attention. And we've been over this before. Was it was it necessary for the oper operation of your business, or can you paraphrase it, Darren? Why don't you paraphrase uh, it? Ne yeah, necessary to maintain um, ongoing operations. Yeah, and 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 the guidance that we've gotten so far suggests that if you have some headroom, if, if you have some money saved up, think about, be ready to consider giving the money back before the 14th. If, if you had enough money saved up to pay your employees, um, 
if if you had a line of credit that wasn't design, designated for a separate purpose that didn't have to do with payroll or rent, be ready to think about giving it back because you're only, right now, the deadline is next Thursday to give it back and we don't have the guidance yet. The guidance will probably clarify those sort of questions. What, what, what did you need the loan proceeds for? If you didn't need the loan proceeds to pay the employees or pay the rent or pay the utilities because you already had other funds, then, then maybe you give the money back. Even though, even though when, when the program was first rolled out, that wasn't so clear that it was improper to ask for that money. There, there, have, been some, there have been some shifts in the agency's thinking by the Q&As, and we just can't predict for sure what they're going to say in the final interim rule. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just trying to show restraint in prognosticating uh, and it's, you know, where it's sort of getting inching closer and closer and closer. And it, the scenario that troubles me the most is a business that was very um, sort of responsible with their finances over the past few years may have, so, you know, a source of liquidity that they could tap into because they have cash reserves or what have you but suffered or is suffering very substantial revenue loss. And as a result of that, um, they clearly would have laid off the vast majority of their workforce during this time frame. But because PPP was available, five weeks ago, they took a PPP loan, have carried their entire um, payroll on that PPP, and you know now are, are sort of facing down, you know, uh, the question of whether to give back money, but over half of it's already been, been spent. So, I mean, I, I, I guess what I would say to that is I hope that the guidance ultimately takes that into account when it comes out. Uh, it has to come out in the next few days. So I guess we will, we will wait and see. What, what is clear, what is clear is just because the banker gave you money, doesn't mean that you're you were eligible if you had more than 500 full or part-time employees and you didn't meet one of the sba's revenue guidelines you weren't eligible for the loan even though the banker gave you the money and you need to give it back if if you're a nonprofit organization that's not a 501c3 or 501c17 I, I won't name those people, but they there are people out there that the banks gave money to. They need to give the money back. They weren't eligible. So so there are there are a lot of loans in this town that need to be given back. I I don't know if we're talking to any of them now, but that that's clear on the eligibility questions. That that part of that part of the statute and the regulations is abundantly clear. If, if you have more than 500 full-time and part-time employees and, and you don't qualify for the, the SBA revenue guidelines, that then, then you were not eligible, okay? If, if you were a, not a 501c3 or a 501c17 nonprofit organization, if you were another 
private club, for example, you were not eligible. Even if you got the money, you should consider giving it back. Uh, we have a question that, that um, probably is for Jane, which is just as a, as a um, logistical matter, do you, do you have any sense of how, I, I think the, the guidelines say that loans over $2 million will be reviewed. Do, do you have any sense of what that review looks like, I guess? Um, I think what you'll probably see um, for a review is actually dealing with all those eight certifications. It will look at um, what financial information or your tax returns to see how you came up with the number for the loan um, to probably, you know, they, you have agreed to give them documentation. You've agreed to let them look at, let them look at your taxes. So I think that they will do a financial review to see if you needed the loan, how you use the proceeds of the loan, and if the other certifications, like look back at records for how many employees you had, how many employees you brought back, what is your head count. Um, so it will deal with some of the liquidity, it will deal with um, all the other representations or certifications that you made when you signed up on that application. I don't think it'll be as harsh as an audit, but it will be a review and it will look at the financial data, it will look at tax forms and things like that that have also been filed. Um, your employee records, your employee income tax filings and things are your tax filings for them um, and things like that. So I think that's what you'll be asked to um, look for and, and supply to document. So I think everybody should be ready for that. If you, if you have any question in your mind about the certifications or your eligibility, um, we know lots of businesses are hurting, and, but this may not be the right loan program or um, support for you um, to help you get through this pandemic period. Thank you, Jane. Um, let's, uh, Stacy, can you take the next two? So the first one is short, which is, is general excise tax uh, on rent part of the forgivable amount. Yes, I believe it is. I mean, it's, uh, I think the term is um, payments covered under a lease agreement that was prior to February 15th. So that would, that would be a part of your rent. And then the next question from Jim on uh, Maui. Um, it looks like it, it boils down to uh, this question about idle grants. Um, I'll add idle loans to that. You know, folks are getting them funded now after they've already gotten their PPPs. Um, can you discuss that? Sure, I can discuss, I can take that part of it. So I think um, if you, there's a few different scenarios here. If you've applied for the IDLE loan and got the $10,000 grant um, and did not apply for the PPP, then the $10,000 grant is fully forgiven. Um, if you, the, the guidance uh, for calculating the PPP loan amounts um, clearly states that if you, uh, the loan size was, um, you, you're supposed to reduce the amount of vital grant from your loan size. Um, but I think there's the situation that's happening more frequently is you got your PPP loan and then you got the idle grant um, shortly thereafter. Um, so uh, in that case, your forgiveness amount is reduced by the amount of your idle grant. 
Um, and the way that I look at that is, you know, your, your PPP loan was sized based on a certain formula and the maximum amount of your PPP loan was based on that formula. And if you received funds in excess of that, that, that amount shouldn't be forgiven. You can, you can only have forgiveness um, to the extent of your PPP loan. Okay, uh, I think the one other piece of, of uh, this question is in the situation, so when we're talking about using 75% for payroll costs, 25% for non-payroll costs, um, uh, if you don't spend the entire 75%, you know, say you spend 68% on payroll costs instead of 75%, what happens? And uh, uh, in that situation, essentially the, the ratios go down. So uh, that 60, say it's $100 and you spend $68 on payroll costs, um, then the amount that you can spend on non-payroll costs is, uh, is a third of that $68. So 23, 22, somewhere thereabouts, um, because it needs to stay in ratio. So whatever you use, it needs to stay in ratio of 75 to 25. Um, yeah. at least, go ahead. There's another part of that question I think that we have addressed um, over and over again, I think in the pr previous webinars and um, keeping the loan, the unused proceeds in, in, that, in that situation and turning it into a loan to use after June 30th potentially. Um, and right now as the guidance uh, reads, your allowable uses, um, of the funds are uh, just through June 30th. Um, there was one question that got buried that was asked of us um, earlier. So let me try and find it and take it, which was Lance's question, um, which I think boils, uh, boils down to the rule number five in the forgiveness memo, which is the individual employee uh, pay reduction rule which essentially says that you can't reduce pay over 25% for an employee as compared to the most recent calendar quarter. And the, the description in the most recent calendar quarter is, I think it's like total, uh, total salary or wages or, or a, a term very similar to that. And the question is, well, you know, in the, the first quarter I paid a lot more than I'll be able to pay out in eight weeks. And so uh, is this telling me that essentially I have to match or, you know, stay within 75% of the, the first quarter uh, in the eight weeks of PPP. And, and my answer to that would be no, that, that would be not apples to apples. So um, I think it, it's pay essentially the rate and hours that would be um, in that first quarter, that's essentially the, the standard of what 100% on rate and hours would be uh, over the, the PPP um, eight weeks. But uh, Stacy, do you have particular thoughts on that? I, I agree with what you, yeah, I agree with what you said. Okay. Um, Jeff, do you wanna start taking a few of these Q&As? I'm, I'm, I'm working ahead and doing the longer ones, so you don't have to oh, read Okay. Them. Okay. Um, so let, let me take, <laughs> let me read, let me read the next one from Robin. Um, Nishimura, that's the one I was just answering, but okay. go ahead if you want. 
you answered that, I will, I will go on to the next one, which is shorter health insurance, retirement benefit costs for owners. Uh, oh, wait, where to go? Um, are not allowed even if they are on payroll. Is that correct? Um, I, I'm going to say that's not quite uh, right, but I'm going to basically double check my answer with Stacy, which is that um, for owners, if you hit the cap, which is the $100,000 cap, um, which, which over the eight-week period ends up being uh, just over $15,000. If you are hitting that cap, then you cannot include health insurance retirement on top of that. However, if you are under that cap in terms of what your um, pay is, then um, you could include health insurance and retirement benefit costs. Stacy. I, I think it also depends on the form of entity that you are and how you're um, compensated on payroll because I think the, um, the way that the, the guidance has currently been written, um, self-employed individuals, um, you cannot use, if you're self-employed, if you're a self-employed owner, um, there's no contemplation of use of funds for the health insurance um, in retirement. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah. Um, um, I'm almost contradicting myself from earlier. Um, um, yes, I agree. Um, Danin's question is, can we back pay salaries uh, and rents? So I, I'm interpreting this as uh, rents and salaries that are incurred outside of the eight-week period, uh, but paid within the eight-week period. Um, and this falls into that category of we don't know yet because it falls under the definition of costs incurred and payments made, uh, which is, uh, in our view, one of the top two um, terms that, that need to be uh, defined. So, um, uh, we have a policy comment uh, that got voted up from Dr. Ching again. Um, uh, so shouldn't most businesses ideally try to have a two to three month cushion? So isn't this punishing those businesses that had that cushion, um, that they're going to deplete those resources, um, and, uh, PPP helps to maintain that. I mean, that, so yes, that's, we agree that's, with them. We, we agree with them, but we're yeah. not sure the SBA will. Yeah, and I, I guess yeah. what I would say is that the current language says access, essentially acts, access to adequate sources of liquidity, that tapping into it would not be, quote, significantly detrimental to the business, end quote. So, you know, to the extent that tapping, just because you have money, doesn't mean that tapping into it would not be significantly detrimental to the business. So, uh, that is, you know, even with the, the limited guidance that we have, that is taken into account. You know, of course, we, we don't have a current definition of significantly detrimental to the business. Um, we, you know, and just, and, uh, I can comment on that. Sure. Do, SBA does promote and offer training and technical assistance to encourage people to uh, follow positive, strong, good business practices. So I don't think they're gonna be looking at, you know, you've gotta deplete everything that you're using and they probably want you to maintain good ratios in your other business practice. So my thinking is that your two to three months 
of, of operating capital, uh, depending on the kind of industry you're in, is what they're gonna be allowing. Um, so I think you could, if you're considering or looking at your certifications that you needed the money to maintain the operations, um, that would be considered acceptable. Um, again, we don't have final guidance on that. You know, they're not saying take, you know, stand on the edge of the cliff for bankruptcy or something, but we know that that's what this could do to a lot of people. So um, evaluate carefully and assess where, where you do have resources and we're not, the PPP doesn't give you money for everything in your operation. So you are expected to be using some of your own funds that you're held in reserve to maintain operations. 25% is not gonna pay your full 100% rent. So you are going to need to use some of those reserves. So it will be conservative, I'm sure, but um, I don't think they're gonna ask you to um, expend every dime. Darren, Jane, and Stacy, can can I suggest that our participants review their balance sheets and their cash flow statements or their similar documents and presume that we'll get some guidance before that 14 deadline and suggest that we will all do our best to have another session to answer all these sort of questions based on the guidance that should come out before that May 14th deadline. Isn't that, really, isn't that really the best answer to all these net? But why, why are we bothering these people with our Friday afternoon speculation when we're, we're going to be able to give them a real, real product when that guidance comes out? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, Stacy, would you like to take a few of the Q&As that got voted up? So the next one, as an LLC partnership, can I use my HMSA healthcare premiums as payroll costs? We are not on payroll. Uh, I believe the answer to that is yes, because the uh, employer health, group health insurance is a part of the payroll cost. Uh, so the next one, I received my PPP loan, which will be used completely for payroll in May and June 2020. I've yet to get my IDLE. Assuming full forgiveness for my, for my PPP, can I also accept and use IDLE once received? Um, I would say the answer is yes, um, so long as the IDLE, um, you don't, it's not for, for the same purposes. So if you use your PPP for, to fund your payroll for May and June and you get your IDLE sometime in late June, you can use it for the same, um, for this payroll cost beyond you. Uh, also, utilities are often periods of one to two months behind when due. Uh, that's another tough question because we, we I think it goes back to the uh, payments made, uh, costs incurred and payments made. Uh, so we still need, we're still anxiously waiting for guidance on that definition. I think we just answered this one. Is employee health included in the 25% for payroll? And yes, it is. I'm sorry, 75% or 20? I got oh, a... Yeah, no, I didn't read that right. It's the employee health insurance is included as a payroll cost. It's for the 75%, not the 25% non-payroll costs. You're on a roll. I'm just knocking <laughs> them off for you. Any updates on idle applied for three? 
Um, I don't know if Jane wants to uh, try to take this as well. Um, I just want to, I'll just comment on the feedback that I've seen so far from uh, our participants. Um, typically, the idle advances, I think, has been um, taking about three to four weeks to fund. Um, and I think at that point, um, I'm hearing another maybe three to four weeks before you hear from the SBA. Um, the idle advances are often deposited into the accounts without uh, any email notifications. Uh, you will probably get an email notification from the SBA shortly thereafter saying that they're, um, they're still considering your reviewing your loan um, applications. But Jane, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Oh, you're, you're on mute. <laughs> Forget to do that. Um, yeah, I, I regret that SBA hasn't been able to um, communicate with people when you get your loan and it begins the processing because they will fund an idol and submit it to your bank account without notice. But that also means that they've touched your application and now it is moving through review. They do do, with the idol, different than the PPP, they do do credit checks. They do look at uh, other information that is available to them. So it's more like a standard loan application or evaluation. And sometimes if they can't access those things, it's going to slow the process down, slow down an already overwhelmed, busy, busy process. So it, we are seeing some people take two to three weeks or some people get an advance and it's not a standard period of time to review the rest of the loan. So that's where a little bit of unevenness comes in. But we are seeing more and more people getting the loans. We are seeing that there are more communications coming out and I'm getting copied with people who are unfortunately declined at this point um, or they need more information and things like that. But there are just a few of those things that are, that are ending up um, in our communication. But you will get information within about three to four weeks after the advance shows up in your uh, bank account. They are still going through them. They got over 5 million applications. So, um, and now they, the new applications that are coming in um, for ag-related businesses and farmers, ranchers are stacked up behind yours. So they are keeping them lined up in queue um, as they've received them. The processing time for each loan is just a little bit uneven. Thank you, Jane. Um, I'll take the next two. Um, Amy's question is about, you know, falling short on headcount and is it okay to essentially put an owner on payroll? Um, I think, you know, th this falls into the category of there's not specific guidance on it. Um, at least what I think I've said in previous webinars is, is this is a tough call. So the, the easy call is for any employee who you need to replace because they refuse to come back or left for a, you know, resigned for a normal reason. Clearly, you can replace that employee to to get you know to the adequate headcounts, um, and any any employee who refuses to come back outright um, doesn't count against the headcount rule um, that was made clear a few days ago by SBA. The harder question is, um, do you know is it is it okay to say put a family member onto payroll to meet headcount? And I just uh, I don't think we uh, can, I, I don't think I'm able to answer that question with the current guidance. I mean, the the closest thing I would draw upon is the certification that says that the loan uh, should be used to uh, maintain 
payroll and retain employees. And, um, you know, that, that fact pattern is, is right on the edge, I think, of, of that line. So Can let me add, answer. I wanted to add something to. Yeah. Go ahead, Stacey. Okay. Um, so I, I do, I do think like, you know, we, we, ha we have been saying in previous webinars that, you know, you're, it's very likely that you will be paying somebody um, to do different work because you are a business that's closed. Maybe you're, you're a retailer uh, operation or a restaurant um, and you want to, during this time that you don't really have productive work for people that you might want to focus on marketing, um, getting your website up. Um, and in that case, if you do have a family member potentially that you can really have a justifiable job description for, um, I would make sure that that's that you have something that that's documented, solid um, job description and and uh, purpose for that position. Uh, my my addition is under the question asked: If you're an owner and you've been providing a lot of services to the company without getting paid, and you just put your yourself on payroll to bump up your payroll that's going to be a difficult explanation to your banker who's looking at forgiveness mm -hmm. so yes if you if you've uh, provided those services without compensation previously or you move a family member into that role make sure that their job skills or their resume does align with the job you're asking them to do yeah. so that would that would be another factor as well yeah. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, uh, this is a question we've had before, Stacy or Cam. Do you think Cam is rent? That I mean, so that I think um, I I would really want to see the guidance say that definitively. But I do believe that Cam is a payment made under a lease agreement. So um, I, I I believe more than likely it it will be included. And a lot, oftentimes Cam includes utilities, um, which is also an allowable expense. Yeah, let me throw out the other utilities question, which is, um, what is a transportation utility? So the only place that we have seen a transportation utility, um, an example of a transportation utility is a gas for a company vehicle. Um, so that's the only that's the only example that we can see so far. Okay, the next one we answered in a previous question. Um, and then the, the next one is if they're sole proprietor with no profit, uh, that in 2019 means you would not qualify for PPP. That's actually uh, definitively stated in the, um, in the rules. Um, uh, we have an employee going on maternity leave. Um, will it count held, will it be held against us for a head count? Uh, forgiveness. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the answer would be yes, if they're essentially have no hours, depending on what the definition of full-time equivalent ultimately is. So if, if the full-time equivalent definition is hours-based, then yeah, that's going to affect uh, it, which is, which is part of the reason I think why there's two different look-back periods. Uh, and let me make a clarification to this because uh, there was sort of some confusion floating around as to what the headcount, uh, the reduction of forgiveness based on headcount, what the actual rule is. This one at least is, is clear from the statute. There's two look back periods. 
that you can choose from to, to get your full-time equivalent headcount. The first is February 15th to June 20th, 2019. The other is the first two months of this year, which is January and February. Uh, whichever of those two periods has the lower headcount is the one that you will use to be the standard for what your full-time equivalent headcount needs to be on an average monthly basis over the eight-week forgiveness period. Okay. Can I add something on this, Darren? Yep. Um, if I was SBA, I would, I would include in the headcount uh, people that are on on maternity leave or other paid leaves. And, and the reason I do that is because the, the, those people are often considered just also still employees. And so I, I, I can see them, I can see SBA, if they think about it a little bit, not wanting you to go out and rehire someone to replace the pregnant employee, which could, could itself be discrimination if that pregnant employee's job isn't there when, when she's ready to come back. So they're, they're, it's, it's not entirely clear what, what SBA will do about those, um, those state-mandated or federal-mandated uh, partially paid leaves. Um, and and they, they may well, for example, FMLA may be included mm -hmm. in, the, in the head count. Yeah, I would, I would agree with Jeff. Yeah, that they would yeah. lean in that direction, but again, we don't have the yeah. the final um, determination. Yeah, the hard thing is this: this sort of the practical action item would be whether you hire someone else, right, or not. And if we're already four weeks, or five weeks, or six weeks, or nine weeks, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it might be too late by the time we get and, guidance. And, and, and I imagine. The longer those those guidance tapes come out, the more interesting and difficult your conversations with your bankers at the end of the eight weeks on forgiveness are going to be. I think that's I think that's right. So yeah. I'll, I'll call your friend Steve Mnuchin after this is over and uh, <laughs> express I'll express your concerns to him. Uh, okay. Well, there's a there's a long one here. Ed Char, um, Stacy, do you want to take this one? Sure. Um, so if I'll just read the, the question. Even if using the idle advance for other expenses that is not payroll, rent, medical, or utilities, will I still need to deduct the idle advance from the PPP loan that I received and returned before May 14th? Idle was unexpectedly deposited after I applied to, to PPP and just before the PPP was deposited. Um, I've read and heard that you can use both and not have to deduct it. Similarly, can I use advance after eight, the eight-week PPP period for the same things that were used for the PPP and not have to deduct it from PPP? Um, so I, I'm speculating on this, but the idle advance was not a concept that was in place prior to the CARES Act passing. Um, the idle advance was made, uh, was, was something that was introduced when the CARES Act, which introduced the PPP loan, um, uh, when that passed. And so I, I'm speculating that I think the idle advance was intended to kind of help employers uh, wait out the process of getting their PPP loan funded. And that's why the, the guidance that we see clearly states that you deduct the idle advance from your PPP loan amount. Um, I know, I, and I think that you do the idle 
um, versus idle advance might be a little, uh, the idle loan clearly says that you, you can use it for different purposes, um, in, including payroll, but different purposes in a different time period. But I think the idle advance was more intended to be used uh, similarly to the, the PPP loan. So um, it, it does, I, I, in everything that we've seen, it, it, it reduces your forgiveness. Um, I'll answer a question that uh, I was going to, and then I think disappeared, which is if you got the wrong loan amount, particularly if it's too high and you know it's too high, what, what to do? Um, and I, I would say immediately give back the portion that is clearly too high to your bank, contact your bank and, and ask uh, how you would go about that. Um, the, the situation that I think has happened um, uh, multiple times is the bank forgetting the $100,000 cap. Uh, so for like an individual, like a sole proprietor, uh, where the $100,000 cap would be a loan amount of 20833 they just used, you know, net income and gave a higher amount, I would say give back the, the excess amount immediately. Um, next question. Uh, we receive funds on 420. Um, I thought I saw somewhere that eligible expenses started on 215, February 15th for utilities. Um, the, the February 15th utility reference is that a qualified utilities for forgiveness and allowable uses, they have to be for agreements that are in place by February 15th. So what that's meant to do is to stop borrowers from just adding something new on now just to you know spend some extra money. What they're trying to do is cover utilities that were in place previously. And so they have to have been in place um, before February 15th. I think the other question that might be out there is um, the covered period for the um, eligible uses of the PPP loan is from February 15th through June 30th. So that's different than the covered period for forgiveness, which is the eight weeks um, following your loan forgiveness. So in theory, um, if you, you could use the funds um, to pay utilities after February 15th and before your eight weeks started, but that just wouldn't be a forgivable expense. Yeah, allowable use, but not a forgivable expense. Yeah, good point. Um, uh, let's just take a couple more. Um, uh, when looking, this is from Scott, when looking at the last full quarter prior to PPP funding, um, if employees who earned wages during that period either quit or were fired, uh, prior to the business furloughing employees ceasing operations, how do we handle this? This is a common scenario for restaurants. Um, so, so there's two aspects. Uh, there's there's two aspects to this kind of headcount issue. The the first is that, so like I had said a few minutes ago, the look back period for headcount, you have two choices. It's the first two months of this year or that February to June period of last year. The other piece that comes into play is um, this sort of headcount and individual employee pay reduction, uh, what's been referred to either as a safe harbor or an exception, which the way it reads in the statute is if you restore uh, levels of headcount and pay to the February 15th level by June 30th, then the headcount rule 
um, and the individual employee pay reduction rule uh, don't apply. That's at least how it looks like it reads. Um, I've, I've said on a, a number, I think, of previous uh, webinars that uh, I, I have a lot of hesitation about that exception or safe harbor because of what it appears to allow is for an employer to put everyone back on June 30th for one day and then fire them the next day. And I just, I just don't imagine that that uh, SBA in its rulemaking is going to uh, say that scenario is okay. So even though the statute says it, I, I have a lot of hesitation about that um, particular provision. Okay, uh, Stacy and Jeff, you want to take one more each, and then we'll close it out. Sure, oh, Jane, if you want to, too, I don't want to. I don't want to exclude you. <laughs> So I can take the next one. The next one is if my employees are paid an hourly wage and they make commissions above that, that wage, um, do I uh, compensate for average compensation, including commissions? And uh, I believe the answer is yes, uh, even though so that's, that's a challenge to, um, let's say, retail stores who are closed um, and not allowing the, the employees an opportunity to earn a commission. Um, but uh, you should look at your how much those employees made on average during the the last calendar quarter um, and plan to pay that employee that same amount, including the commission. Okay. Can, can I choose to not recall an employee using those funds to hire new multiple employees? Of course. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, it, at least with respect to the certifications that say it's for the purpose of retaining employees and maintaining payroll. Um, I would I would hedge I think a little more. Yeah. Answer, but we can agree to disagree. Why don't you take um, the? Oh, it disappeared. But the I think the last question, which was um, which is an apt way to finish, is my bank doesn't know how to uh, take the money back if I want to give it back by May 14th. Jeff, <laughs> write them a check. Yeah. I mean, yep. definitely should be documented in, in writing somehow. Um, yep. Okay, so uh, thank you, folks. Uh, it looks like I have no idea why, but for some reason you all stuck with us um, to the end again. Um, uh, we are going to play it by ear for Tuesday's webinar. I think it is, oh, I said it last time. So, you know, I thought it was highly likely by today we would have clear guidance uh, in substantive fashion and a lot of it. Uh, I, so I'll double down on that for Tuesday. If that comes out, we will definitely have one on Tuesday. Um, if not, then, you know, we will schedule and uh, do our normal blasts on uh, social media and through the email blast. So uh, we will keep you updated as things come up, um, but we're going to play it by ear um, so we actually get some some definitive substantive guidance. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all you mothers oh. out there. Oh, <laughs> yes. Happy Mother's Day to, to everyone. And we hope you guys can take a, a break from uh, break from all this madness. So we will see you guys uh, next week at some point. Thank you guys so much. Yeah.